0: Volume 3, Chapter 4, Part 1 of The Mummy, A Tale of the Twenty Second Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mummy, A Tale of the Twenty Second Century by Jane Loudon. Volume 3, Chapter 4, Part 1. In the meantime, Lord Edmund's mind was tortured by the bitterest anguish, and his agitation, added to the pain of his wounds, produced a considerable degree of fever. The conduct of Elvira and the anxiety she had evinced respecting the prince seemed to confirm his worst suspicions. Oh, God! Oh, God! cried he, as he paced his prison in agony. I could have borne anything but this. It is too, too much by heaven i could sell myself to everlasting perdition to be revenged as he spoke he heard the key of his dungeon door grate in the lock and he shuddered for he almost fancied some hideous sceptre would appear in answer to his call and he felt indescribably relieved when he heard the gentle insinuating tones of father maurice sweet is the voice of friendship to the disappointed spirit and soft falls the balm of consolation from those we love upon the wounded heart edmund's bosom thus throbbed with transport when he saw the reverend father and throwing his arms round his neck he sobbed like a child my dear edmund said the priest also excessively affected for he really loved edmund it breaks my heart to see you thus cruel elvira oh blame her not father exclaimed edmund i cannot bear that even you should blame her she is deceived she is under the influence of infatuation we cannot control our hearts you know father but that she should be capable of loving another when your services your devoted affection alas alas father love is not to be bought by services all she could give she has given I possess her friendship and esteem and are you satisfied with those satisfied oh heavens at any rate i suppose you could bear to see her married to prince ferdinand if you thought it would contribute to her happiness married to him cried edmund gnashing his teeth in agony married to him oh anything but that i will never leave to see that you are not likely calmly returned the priest for as the state requires a victim and as elvira will certainly not resign her endymion you will doubtless be sacrificed to save him hold hold cried edmund driven to madness by the thought do not dare to repeat those cursed words i could die to serve her but i will not be sacrificed what am i to be made a tool A child, an idiot, destined to labor for my rival, and denied even the poor satisfaction of showing the extent of my devotion. But I will not die so calmly. Elvira shall not forget me. I will see her. She shall at least know my sentiments. And if she treats me with scorn, I will die, it is true. But it shall be by my own hand and at her feet. I will not be sacrificed i will not steal out of life like a common criminal no the world shall know my wrongs i will be heard i will not fall unnoticed and unknown take this chain father morris give it to her and tell her i implore her by the recollection of the moment when she bestowed it upon me to grant me an interview if she refuse me but no no she cannot father maurice took the chain and promising to see the queen withdrew leaving lord edmund in a state of indescribable agitation he was not left long however to his solitary reflections for as he paced with hasty strides his prison and turned as he reached the wall the mummy cheops stood before him ah wretch cried edmund what brings you here come you to torment your victim i come to help and comfort the unfortunate said the mummy be gone cried lord edmund i do not want your pity and your preferred help i scorn spare your scorn proud lord returned cheops it will not aid you though i might i want no aid exclaimed lord edmund and least of all such help as you can give me i despise alike your pity and your vengeance Come what will, I rely upon myself, conscious of my own integrity, I do not fear to fall, though demons should assail me. Avant, then fiend for over me thou hast no power. Caebs burst into one of his fiendish laughs and exclaiming that time will show disappeared. Edmund felt relieved by his absence, though in spite of his boasted firmness and the sovereign contempt he expressed for the mummy he could not prevent his mind from dwelling upon the circumstance the appearance of cheops indeed never failed to excite a deep and powerful interest in the minds of all who conversed with him whilst his appalling laugh struck terror to the firmest breast and even those who affected to despise his menaces could not prevent their minds from dwelling upon his words this irresistible power had its full effect upon the mind of edmund and though he endeavoured in vain to shake it off and rouse his mind to think of other things still the gigantic mummy seemed to stalk before him in vain did he strive to picture to himself his interview with the queen the hideous features of the mummy rose in his imagination instead of the lovely form of elvira till at length fatigued and exhausted he threw himself upon his couch and endeavoured to lose the remembrance of his cares in sleep yet even in his dreams the same image haunted him and the same words rang in his ears whilst these scenes were taking place in the prison elvira was suffering all the torments of a burning fever she was indeed seriously ill the excessive agitation of her mind and the horror she felt at the idea of being the murderer of ferdinand had overpowered her reason and by the time dr coleman arrived he having been sent for on the first alarm she was quite delirious the thought that she alone had caused the danger of ferdinand occupied her mind and not being able to bear the idea that her folly might occasion the destruction of a human being she raved of him incessantly and repeatedly offered to sacrifice her life to preserve his her ravings were heard by her domestics and being neither exactly understood nor correctly repeated, the reports, aided by the artful insinuations of Father Morris, soon produced rumours throughout the city that the queen was violently in love with Prince Ferdinand, and had gone mad because the Lord did not permit her to marry him. The effect this idea produced was prodigious. It was implicitly believed for the lower classes are naturally fond of the marvellous, and, when there are two sides to the question, are very seldom disposed to err by judging too favourably whilst the indignation it excited was unbounded in some cases men are more tenacious of their prejudices than of their rights thus then though the english by consenting to the marriage of their queen had deprived themselves of the important right of electing their own sovereign they considered what they had done as trifling when compared with the horror they felt at the thought of submitting to a foreign king whilst the emissaries of rosabella Taking advantage of this feeling by alternately playing upon their fears and magnifying their terrors worked them up almost to a state of desperation. The party of Elvira, in the meantime, was quite unable to stem the torrent opposed to it. The Queen and her father were both too ill to leave their beds, and Lord Edmund was in prison. What will become of us? whispered Emma to Dr. Coleman one day in the chamber of Elvira, when she fancied the Queen to be asleep to-morrow prince ferdinand and lord edmund are to be tried and they say not even the queen has powers to pardon them if they are convicted it is but too true returned dr Coleman. they must die and the punishment is horrid the criminal is doomed to be burned by a slow fire horrible cried emma and this only for drawing a sword in the vicinity of a royal palace alas that is not all ferdinand is accused of wishing to marry the queen and the laws that devote to a horrid death the man who shall presume to address her in the language of love yet hold good against foreigners i cannot believe prince ferdinand ever dared even to think of the queen said emma god only can judge the heart observed dr coleman but i am sorry to say the proofs are very strong against him i have heard from undoubted authority that persons will swear they heard him absolutely make love to the queen and that she promised to marry him if she could obtain the consent of her people it is false cried elvira starting from her bed and standing suddenly between them false as hell prince ferdinand never addressed a single syllable breathing of love to me in his existence he is the victim of a mistake or rather of my folly but he shall not die i will save him or perish in the attempt the calm decided tone in which elvira spoke and her spectral appearance produced an almost magical effect upon her auditors and they stood awestruck and aghast whilst elvira continued dress me emma i will see my people i will appeal to them myself it is the day for receiving petitions in blackheath square there will be a multitude assembled i will go there in person and address them it is the raving of delirium whispered emma to dr coleman what shall i do do you dare to hesitate said elvira whose sense of hearing sharpened by her recent illness enabled her to catch distinctly the words of her favourite humour her returned dr coleman in her present state opposition would be fatal it would indeed be fatal said elvira sitting herself in a large armchair whilst the temporary colour her previous exertion had given her faded from her cheeks and she looked the image of death she will faint cried emma flying for aid it is impossible for her to go in this state said the doctor impossible cried elvira starting up wildly and her cheeks again glowing with the deepest crimson whilst her eyes sparkled with superhuman fire. What is impossible to a determined spirit? Haste, haste, Emma, and let me go whilst I have yet strength. For go I will, though death await me there. My rashness has endangered the life of Prince Ferdinand, and I will die to save him. Further opposition was useless, and the doctor retiring, Emma hastily attired her mistress the people were expected to assemble as usual in the square though from the illness of the queen a deputation of nobles had been appointed to receive the petitions the feelings of elvira were wrought up to an unnatural energy every limb trembled with agitation and every nerve thrilled with impatience while she was dressing and when she was ready she descended the staircase leaning upon the arm of emma her cheeks flushed with a hectic glow her lips quivering and her eyes shining with unusual brightness at the foot of the staircase they met cheops he steadfastly regarded the queen and smiled at her agitated appearance with his usual calm scorn oh fearful spectre cried elvira the moment she beheld him i appeal to thee for help my bride is humbled i own to thee i love seymour aid me to save ferdinand and i am thy slave appeal to your people said kebs his fierce eyes flushing with proud triumph your feelings will give you eloquence but do not confine yourself to obtaining the power to pardon ferdinand demand to be free the people will refuse you nothing tell them that they have insulted you by giving you permission to marry and then dictating whom you shall choose require perfect freedom they will comply and bow their necks beneath your footstool. But rest not satisfied with anything short of actual submission. Endure no conditions. This is the moment to decide your future destiny, act with energy, and you will be happy. But if you falter, destruction is your portion. I will obey you to the letter, said Elvira, "'as she walked with a firm step past him "'and sprang into her balloon, followed by Emma. "'Oh, my dear, dear mistress,' said the faithful confidant, "'do not listen to that wretch. "'He is a serpent sent to wile you to destruction. "'I am certain he is a fiend incarnate. "'Do be advised. "'Do return and relinquish this mad enterprise.' "'Elvira did not reply.' her feelings were far too highly wrought to permit her to speak and bending eagerly forward she watched with an impatient eye the streets and houses they flitted over scarcely able to bear the agony of suspense during the time necessary lost in the transit and seeming every instant to long to precipitate herself forward to the goal of her wishes the balloon now rose unusually high whilst masses of fleecy clouds hid the town from their view and looked like flocks of sheep beneath their feet. We are going wrong, cried Elvira in agony. We shall be too late. No, no, said Emma. I feel we descend again. We are arrived. And as she spoke, the balloon sank rapidly, whilst the clouds' opening discovered the immense square below them apparently paved with human heads thank god we are not too late cried elvira clasping her hands together and sinking back upon her seat whilst the balloon conductor directed the machine to the palace usually appointed for the reception of the queen elvira did not wait to arrange her dress she did not wait to take refreshment or even to rest a single moment from her fatigue but she rushed upon the terrace the instant she quitted the balloon and presented herself before her astonished people every limb quivering from the violence of her agitation the crowd was immense the extensive space looked one compact mass of human heads but elvira's courage did not fail her though she had now no lord edmund to support her and no father or applauding friends to listen as she spoke yet the enthusiasm of the moment gave her strength she forgot everything but the cause that brought her there and her mind thrown back upon its own resources rallied its energies and seemed to gather courage from the thought whilst her sylphic figure appeared to dilate in size and assume an almost awful dignity from the grandeur of the spirit that animated it as she thus stood before her subjects her life or death hanging upon their will her arrival had been hailed by the loudest shouts of wonder and of joy but when the multitude saw she wished to address them the tumult was hushed and they waited in breathless silence for her speech the deep stillness which prevailed amongst this so lately bustling crowd of human beings and the thought that every ear and every eye turned towards her slightly affected the nerves of elvira and her lips trembled when she began to speak but as she became warmed with her subject her voice gradually assumed its natural depth melody and sweetness whilst its full tones sank deep into the hearts of her auditors and carried conviction with them as she went on she first appealed to the gratitude of her people and after alluding to all she had done to secure peace and plenty to their domestic firesides she reverted to the misery of her own situation before the laws had been revoked which condemned her to celibacy She powerfully painted the harshness of the destiny that debarred her from the blessings she had so lavishly bestowed upon others. She alone, of all her subjects, had been destined to the wretchedness of a solitary life, unsoothed by the tender cares of a husband, uncheered by the affection of children. She alone had been doomed to wither away her youth in cheerless widowhood. Their fear had changed her destiny, but was it the part of a noble and generous people, whilst they conferred a benefit to encumber it with restrictions no she was confident the liberal spirit of the english would spurn the sordid thought and shrink from such a manner of obliging make me free said she really absolutely free and i promise solemnly you shall never have occasion to blush for your queen as she spoke her cheeks glowed and her eyes sparkled with unwonted fire whilst the people struck by the suddenness of her appearance and her enthusiasm and carried away by the force of the sentiment that could metamorphose the tender gentle elvira into the exalted being before them shouted applause whilst cries rang loudly through the air of long live elvira marry whom you list we will be your slaves still be our queen and let your children and children's children reign over us when you shall be no more delight danced in the bright eyes of elvira and a blush of pleasure mantled on her cheek as she gracefully thanked them and yet my friends continued she in a fainter voice there is another privilege i would demand at your hands i am called free and absolute yet i am chained by the laws unloose these bands give me at least the power to pardon i know that if i wished it i might reverse these laws at my will as the power of the queen who made them was not greater than that which you have bestowed upon me but i wish not to do so i would rather accept that from your hands as a favour which i might exact as a right give me then my people the most blessed attribute of royalty let me pardon can you refuse me this no no shouted the people with enthusiasm we are your slaves do with us as you list the laws are yours and though you change them at your pleasure we will obey long live elvira elvira forever from henceforth we owe no law but her will elvira's rapture was unbounded she forgot the unstable nature of the vox populi and triumphed in the devotion of her people whilst they in return as she warmly expressed her gratitude shouted forth her praise in tumultuous transports the air rang with acclamations and elvira looking proudly round upon her obsequious subjects felt herself indeed a queen there is perhaps no sensation in the world more delightful than thus to feel oneself the idol of the multitude to see every eye beaming with admiration to hear every voice resounding praise and to know every heart is devoted to one object the human mind cannot enjoy a higher gratification than in the consciousness of power whilst the man thus exalted seems raised to the level of divinity and triumphs in the worship of his fellow creatures but alas such glory is too much for mortals and nothing can be more evanescent or rather nothing a more certain prelude to disgrace Elvira, however, knew not that her popularity was too great to be lasting. She implicitly believed her people would continue to feel what they now expressed, and catching the spirit of the moment, she persuaded them to sign an abolition of the laws and a confirmation of her absolute power. The people obeyed with rapture. The enthusiasm which animated them had not yet abated, and even if Elvira had desired their lives, they would have obeyed. They considered her inspired and it seemed sacrilege even to hesitate to comply with their commands so powerful was the energy of a woman's will and so sure it is that a determined spirit may overcome any difficulties when once roused resolutely to exert itself such also is the influence of beauty and eloquence upon the human mind and so weak is judgment when attacked through the medium of the senses in the meantime the council of elvira had met in their usual apartment and were holding a solemn consultation previous to going to receive the petitions on the propriety of addressing the people whom they might find assembled in the square respecting the illness and consequent incapacity for reigning of the queen thinking as i think and as i am confident every one here must think said lord gustavus de montfort there is no middle course to be pursued a regency must be appointed or the government will be overturned oh there is no doubt we cannot exist without a regency said lord Noodle. yes yes we must have a regency cried lord doodle it appears to me to say the least of it premature observed the duke of exeter who from his regard for edmund had hitherto observed a cautious neutrality i think before deciding upon so important a question we should at least examine her majesty's physicians And be guided by the report. His Grace is quite right, said Lord Noodle. We ought to examine the physicians, said Lord Doodle. One of them has just entered the council chamber, observed Lord Gustavus. I presume he brings the usual daily bulletin of Her Majesty's health. Is it your pleasure, my lords, that he be examined? By all means, cried all the noble lords simultaneously, and Dr. Hardman advanced. How is her most gracious Majesty?" asked Lord Gustavus with his usual solemnity. "Alas, my lord," said Doctor Hardman, "her Majesty has slept badly and is much worse this morning. Is she still delirious?" asked the Duke of Exeter. "Quite, your Grace," returned the doctor, shaking his head. "Then I fear there is no hope," said the Duke. None said lord Noodle, shaking his head none echoed lord doodle shaking his thinking as i think and as i am sure every one here must think or at least ought to think said lord gustavus we must not suffer the interests of the people to be invaded with impunity the constitution requires watching over and i consider this a matter which ought to be inquired into then you think the senses of the queen irrecoverable asked the duke of exeter addressing dr hardman not irrecoverable, I hope, my lord duke replied the doctor, though I own her delirium is alarming. What does she rave about? asked Lord Doodle, curiosity being the only mark he ever gave of his being a rational animal. It is a delicate subject, returned the doctor, and if your lordships will excuse me, oh no, you must tell us, said Lord Doodle thinking as i think and as i am sure everyone who hears me must think or at least ought to think said lord gustavus concealment in this case would be a crime since your lordships command me replied the doctor however reluctant i may be to betray her majesty's secrets it is my duty to obey the queen raves incessantly of prince ferdinand i feared as much said the duke of exeter and do you think if she recovers she'll want to marry him asks lord doodle i fear it cannot be doubted my lord returned the doctor then thinking as i think and as every free-born englishman ought to think said lord gustavus she will forfeit her crown a deep silence followed this daring speech yet though no one assented to it no one attempted to contradict it in fact Every man seemed afraid of committing himself, for though every one thought Lord Gustavus would not have ventured so far had he not felt assured the party against the Queen was strong, yet no one liked to be the first to declare himself her opponent. This awkward pause was broken by the entrance of Sir Ambrose and Father Morris, who came with a message from the Duke of Cornwall imploring them not to decide upon any measures hastily and informing them that on the following day his physicians assured him he would be able to assist their deliberations in person we all esteem and respect the duke said lord gustavus but thinking as i think and as i am confident every one who hears me must think or at least ought to think not even our respect for him ought to induce us to consent that the queen should marry a foreigner No, no, we must not let private feelings make us risk the interests of the people. I dare say they will not be in any danger, murmured the soft, insinuating voice of Father Morris. I dare say they will run no risk. Foreigners have sometimes been known to respect the interests of a people and reign as gloriously as native born monarchs. Not often, I believe, Father. Said Sir Ambrose. At any rate, I am sure it would break the Duke's heart to see his daughter married to Prince Ferdinand, and I am sure it would break mine to see him King of England. Weak, silly Elvira! I cannot account for her infatuation, and I have no patience with her for causing all this misery solely by her folly. You use strong language, Sir Ambrose, said the Duke of Exeter no stronger than the occasion requires my lord duke returned the worthy baronet i have known the queen from her childhood and loved her as a daughter but now the matter must certainly be inquired into said lord gustavus it is the duty of every well-disposed patriotic englishman not to suffer the slightest invasion of the constitution our laws are our bulwarks "'we owe to die in defence of our laws, "'and if the Queen be no longer in a fit state to administer them, "'or if she contemplate the design of putting the administration of them "'into hands in which their purity will be contaminated, "'then, thinking as I think, "'and as I feel confident every individual who hears me must think, "'or at least ought to think, "'there can remain only one course for us to pursue.' "'Perhaps,' said Father Morris, we may be deceived, and the delirium of the queen may be transient, or at least her mentioning the name of Prince Ferdinand in her ravings, quite accidental. It is not well to be too rash. Oh, no, reverend father, replied Lord Gustavus, you deceive yourself. Your obstruction from the world and the goodness of your heart lead you to judge too favorably of others. But we, who know the world, see deeper. You, Holy Father, can form no idea of the folly of human passions. You are above their weaknesses, and cannot suspect that in another, which you are incapable of filling yourself. But as I said before, we that know the world see deeper. Elvira is in love with Prince Ferdinand, and is quite capable of sacrificing her throne and people to the caprices of a romantic passion impossible cried father maurice with well-acted astonishment it is very true notwithstanding said lord gustavus shaking his head sagaciously whilst his attendant satellites the lords noodle and doodle shook theirs for sympathy impossible cried sir ambrose she cannot surely carry her infatuation to such a height she is too noble but even if she be so mad will no one step forward and save her from destruction i do not see how any one can save her if such be her intentions said the duke of exeter women are proverbially self-willed and now that the people have put the laws into her own hands the people were cajoled into consent exclaimed lord gustavus but if the queen be so mad as to intend to marry the prince she must lose her throne and suffer death "'for the laws against foreigners remain inexorable.' "'Yes, the laws are inexorable,' echoed the Lord's Noodle and Doodle. "'Good heaven!' cried Sir Ambrose. "'Is it possible I am in England, and yet hear such barbarous sentiments openly avowed? "'No one has more right to feel anger at the folly of Elvira than myself. "'But even I cannot bear such cruelty. "'What?' Is a young and beautiful woman in the very flower of her age to be doomed to destruction merely for having shown a susceptible heart? Forbid it, heaven! And what are we that we should dare to judge so harshly and refuse mercy to a fellow creature? Are we not all feeble? Do we not all err? And do we show such cruelty in judging a trifling offence? how shall we expect mercy for our own more weighty ones have mercy then let us show ourselves men let us dare to exert our reason and throw off the shackles of prejudice we boast that the law in this case makes us free and arms us with power against our sovereign let us use that power then and show that we are really free by daring to act justly if we do not we are slaves it cannot be said lord gustavus you talk well sir ambrose but words are nothing against facts if the queen intend to marry prince ferdinand she must either be insane or intend to subvert the constitution and in either case thinking as i think and as i am sure every reasonable person in the kingdom must think or at least ought to think she is no longer competent to reign and is no longer worthy to live. Eloquence is a fine thing, and I do not deny that the worthy baronet speaks fluently. Yet, notwithstanding all he can say, or indeed all that can be said upon the subject, law is law. Yes, law is law, echoed the repeating lords. Sir Ambrose, I thank you from my soul, cried the old Duke of Cornwall, starting from the midst of the crowd. You have indeed proved yourself my friend, but I should blush to think that my daughter was slandered in my presence and that I left it to another to undertake her defence. Yes, gentlemen, Elvira is slandered. I will venture my life upon her innocence. Her heart is English, my lords, thoroughly English. She will marry no German. No, no, my poor dear Elvira never dreamed of such a thing. She is innocent and here the poor old man overpowered by his emotions could not proceed but leaning upon the shoulder of his friend sir ambrose wept bitterly it is hard to see the tears of aged men and every one was affected they had started at the sudden appearance of the duke amongst them for his gaunt looks and wasted form aided by the belief of his serious illness gave him more the aspect of a spectre than a man and now his trembling voice and grey hairs, as he attempted to vindicate his child, came home to the hearts of his auditors. "'Alas! why is not Edmund here?' sighed Sir Ambrose. "'He would not have left the cause of Elvira to such feeble hands. "'But he is gone, and, wretched father that I am, "'I may soon no longer possess my darling boy.' six months ago two brave sons were the pride of my heart and the admiration of every eye where are they now the one wandering in foreign climes exposed to every misery of want and the other confined in a prison and doomed to suffer an ignominious death alas alas why has my life been spared to endure such misery End of chapter 4, part 1 of volume 3.